the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> well, well, well. Happy, happy Monday. It is, uh, it is the Blaze Radio Network. It is high noon on the East Coast. If you're listening to us live, if you're listening to us via SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, any of those places, first of all, thank you. Thank everybody who listens to this show. You guys really are, uh, you're, you're knocking it out, and I have to thank you for that. So um, appreciate it. And join the conversation today. I know we started doing free-for-all Fridays, but you know what? Uh, you're, you're welcome to call in on any topic on any day at any time. And yes, it's Monday, so we'll talk to Dr. Wendy a little bit later in the show. But if you want to get in on the action today, if you want to discuss what's up, 888-900-3393-888-900-3393. And um, any home remedies to my, my conundrum that I posted on Twitter are welcome. You see, as I'm up very early scouring for stories and trying to lay out the show, I do a couple of things. Uh, one of which is to take a break about two hours before we kick off. And I go outside and try and do just a little work in the garden. And I'm out in the garden and I saw, I saw uh, this little vine growing. And I thought, oh, that's an evil little vine. What's it doing messing with the hydrangeas and, and with the rhododendrons? Cut it out. So I proceeded to cut it out only to have a neighbor come over and he goes, man, do you have a lot of poison oak in here? And I thought, uh, oops, oopsie. And I had, I had pulled this vine out from about two, 10 different plants and a pretty good chunk of the garden that I was taking it out of. And uh, because it was just a spur of the moment thing, I didn't grab my gloves and I wasn't wearing a long sleeve shirt. And so then I went sprinting into the house. And all I remember of poison ivy and poison oak and uh, what happens if you come in contact with it. Well, I, I mean, I know exactly what happens if you come in contact with it. But the first thing you're supposed to do is not touch anything, your face, uh, your, your shoulders, just, just every, everything should be left alone. Accent on everything, emphasis on everything, until you can get the oils from the plants off your hands and maybe even off, off uh, your clothing. And my buddy, um, one of my golf buddies said, get the water as hot as you can, stand, and then rinse off your skin for as long as you can. So I was doing that. My, my arms from the elbows down look like... Uh, well, they, they, they look as red as a guy who, who makes the mozzarella by hand. You know, the guys who would knead the mozzarella cheese by hand in the 112-degree water. And they're just, they were beet red for quite a while. I don't know if I got it all off in time. Then I coated my arms in the, in the Dawn detergent, because that's the one that gets the oil off of the ducks, right? And <laughs> those ads. 
And I thought that would be a good idea. And then somebody else sent me a message saying, no, you need to use uh, Purell. And I don't, I don't use the Purell because I think it's dumb to do all that because I think it defeats your body's ability. So I put the word out. And if any of you know a, a really good uh, poison oak uh, treatment and or method to stop it, somebody sent me this thing from uh, a site called Tech Labs. And TechNU, T-E-C-N-U. Maybe we need to pitch them <laughs> as a sponsor. But right now, thank God, we may have gotten to it quickly enough. But I, um, I had nearly scalded my arms from the forearms, elbows down. And uh, I, I scrubbed up and covered up. And I don't think I'm going to need the calamine lotion or anything else. But I always think it's a good idea for us to share those kinds of kinds of tips, right? So we, we can all be together on this. We're all in this together. And if you want to send one in, you can send it via, via Twitter, at StuntBrain on Twitter, at StuntBrain, all one word, S-T-U-N-T-B-R-A-I-N. And um, you, can also, you can also call it in, 888 But I hope I dodged a bullet, because I have had... I've had that poison oak and poison ivy from, from this uh, woodland garden we have in the past. And it is absolutely zero fun. All right. Where to go? Do you believe in the rule of threes? Do you believe in the three theory that when famous people pass away, they pass away in threes? If so, is there one more to drop, as they say? I almost said shoe. But yesterday we lost a great actor in Martin Landau, a guy that I remember from Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest at first and then from uh, Mission Impossible where he played Roland Hand, the man of many disguises. And then ultimately uh, you probably remember him for the Oscar winning role he played in Ed Wood. And so uh, we, lost, we lost a great actor. Uh, he was 89 years old. And a big fan. I would watch every episode of the classic Mission Impossible. And I know what you people are thinking. Some of you are going, wait a minute. It was a movie? It was a TV show before it was a Tom Cruise movie? Yes, and it was a great show. It was one of the first shows that you became aware of that you had to pay attention because the story was so intricate and there was intrigue and spying and and it was there were MacGyver like devices, there were disguises, there was all kinds of wonderful stuff going on in the original television series Mission Impossible. And it and it was a, a very diverse cast with Martin Landau, and uh, you had uh, you had a black actor, a white actor, a uh, female lead, and a and a muscle man, a guy. We had all kinds of stuff going on in that show. But the other shoe that dropped, the other uh, great, in, in my mind, the other guy that passed away was uh, a director who really, really found success in one genre and, and lived it. I'm talking about the great George Romero. George A. Romero, if you want to be technical in the Hollywood times, because, you know, there are different George Romero's out there, but he had the George A. Romero 
name in the Hollywood registry. George Romero, a filmmaker who, who really should be getting a, a parade from anybody who likes, uh, what's that show with the zombies that Jeffy likes? The um, Walking Dead. Yeah, thank you, Ellie. Um, I, I've, I tried to watch an episode of Walking Dead, and I'm out after like five minutes because it's not Dawn of the Dead. It's not Night of the Living Dead. It's not a George Romero film. And it is, in my opinion, derivative and entirely too slick. The original Night of the Living Dead made back in, uh, what was it, 1968, I think he made it, for about $110,000, begged, borrowed, and stole to make Night of the Living Dead. He co-wrote it with uh, his friend John Russo. The movie was the thing that midnight movies are, are legend for. Absolute rough production values, tiny script, a little bit of a morality play, a little bit of a social commentary, and yet at the end of the day, you were okay with it because you realized, yes, the, I, it scared the hell out of me, but it, at the end of the day, you realize it, this is only a movie. Only a movie. I remember seeing Night of the Living Day, Dead on a late, 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 late TV show, the, um, the, the chiller theater type TV show that played 100 million years ago uh, in Chicago. And I remember coming home after work, and it was about 1 o'clock in the morning, and everybody was asleep in the house. Remember, this is a house with nine kids. This is a house where uh, nothing goes on uh, that someone doesn't hear about it. Someone else doesn't catch up. So I'm awake late at night watching, because I couldn't sleep, just came home from work, watching this WGN TV chiller theater kind of a movie and it's night of the living dead i had never seen it and i started watching it and couldn't turn it off not only could i not turn it off because you wanted to make sure we were all going to be okay that the zombies weren't going to come to life and eat everybody but i had turned on every light in the house and for some reason my mother heard me and came down and went what is going on down here. Literally every light downstairs was on and I had checked every door. And you're probably thinking, why? What was so scary? What possibly could have happened on, uh, in this movie, Night of the Living Dead? What could George Romero have shown us that would have frightened us so? And I have to tell you, it was news reports like this. At this hour, they report the level of the mysterious radiation continues to increase steadily. So long as this situation remains, government spokesmen warn that dead bodies will continue to be transformed into the flesh-eating ghouls. All persons who die during this crisis, from whatever cause, will come back to life to seek human victims unless their bodies are first disposed of by cremation. So there it is. I'm not sleeping. I, I am I'm wide awake. I've got the I've got all the lights on, and now uh, my mother's down there with me, and she's trying to say this is craziness. What the heck is wrong with you? 
And I said, no, no, you got to watch this. This is, and she just said, I'm going back to bed. But my favorite part of, of the original Night of the Living Dead was the, the sheriff, the character of the sheriff who they had out leading the people around to round up the zombies in the daytime. He was, well, I, I guess you could say he was, he was gold, Jerry. He was pure gold. Well, away in the fire. We don't want it getting up again. Chief, Chief McClellan, how's everything going? Oh, things aren't going too bad. Men are taking it pretty good. You want to get on the other side of the road over there? Chief, do you think we'll be able to defeat these things? Well, we killed 19 of them today right in this area. Those last three we caught trying to claw their way into an abandoned shed. They must have thought somebody was in there. There wasn't, though. We heard them making all kind of noise. We came over and beat them off, blasted them down. So the sheriff is about as, as raw as you can get. But my favorite assessment comes, yeah. comes when the sheriff is asked ab about taking out the zombies and, and what it takes to, to, to knock them out. Like if you're surrounded by them and, and if you find yourself uh, completely without uh, an escape route. And this, this is just, to me, this is the essence of this, the original movie from 1968, when the sheriff answers the question about the zombies. Are they slow moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Perfect. They're dead. They're all messed up. And if you didn't see Night of the Living Dead, but then a few years later you tuned in, when George Romero finally made enough money off the original, it was 10 years later that Night of the Living Dead had been a, a cult classic in the theaters, that George Romero made Dawn of the Dead. And it was the same concept, just 10 years later with better, better special effects and color film, not black and white film, and more than one handheld camera. And it was a social commentary on where we were as a society. And I think that's what a lot of people, that's why George Romero's classics stayed with us for so long. So same problem, radiation hits the planet, everybody that's died in the last few days is suddenly reanimated and they're flesh-eating monsters. And the rest of us have to deal with it and try and stop them. But if we don't, one bite and you're joining. It's just like vampires. But George Romero managed to put more social commentary in Dawn of the Dead than he did in Night of the Living Dead. You're curious, aren't you? Well, come on back after the break and I'll, I'll give you the samples and the examples of of the genius of George Romero, a guy we lost at 77. And I'll also share the thoughts on George Romero from a friend who was a, um, a horror movie iconist, I guess we can say. An old friend who wrote to me today to tell me some George Romero stories. Yeah, we'll get to the politics. We'll get to James Carville. We'll get to all of that, but we have to honor a horror film icon who's left the building, the guy who gave Jeffy his obsession with this walking dead crap. My tribute to George Romero and Dawn of the Dead continues next on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. We are paying tribute to the late George Romero, George A. Romero, the guy who gave us Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead. He was also working, <laughs> kind of obsessed with one. Well, when it works, you know, you go with it. He was working on another film, actually, called Road of the Dead. And uh, it never happened. But a friend of mine who is a an actress in the horror genre of some note, an old friend from my Texas days named Caroline Williams. If you've seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, the Toby Hooper sequel to the Ho Toby Hooper classic Texas Chainsaw Massacre, she played Stretch, the DJ. And Caroline works in the, sh the horror industry everywhere. And she's quite an incredible, remarkable person. Um, she wrote to me and said, George Romero was a friendly, lovely man who lived his life and made his films according to his own terms. And when he would check into a hotel, he would pay the smoking fine up front because by God, he was going to smoke. She spent time with him on the convention circuit because these people travel. It's like Comic-Con, etc. She said he never varied in his friendliness and bon home, which is what a great tribute. So what a nice to know that George Romero was as nice of a guy as he was rumored to be. But in in his sequel to Dawn, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, it took place at a shopping mall. And again, zombies are everywhere. A small group has clustered together in the mall to try and save themselves and thereby save humanity going forward. You had uh, three men and a woman who happened to be pregnant. And as they gather on top of the roof of the mall, they look down upon the zombies inside and ask a really important question. And the answer was perfect George Romero classic sarcasm. And social commentary. What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory of what they used to do. This was an important place in their life. It's some sort of memory and instinct in what they do. It's it's a place that was important to them in their lives. I'm sure there's one or two more lines from the movie that I have to share with you throughout the show, but we we ha we we need to salute great filmmakers like George Romero, and great actors like Martin Landau. Thank you for your contributions in scaring the heck out of us and entertaining us. We hope you've made it to the next reward, the heavenly one. Rest in peace, Jane. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Can I just, uh, I, I had something planned to go to uh, in this break here. I, I actually had a serious news story to go to 
Uh, well, it's sort of serious, but it is, uh, it's the Blaze Radio Network, and the host privilege has been employed. So I can, just, I can just change the rundown, put this story off to the side, and say, what the hell is going on? Seriously, wh- wh- what? Last week we talked about gender reveal parties. Remember? Remember the story about the gender reveal parties and how uh, there was a writer in Cosmo who said that gender reveal parties would scar the unborn child? It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that uh, so many on the far left, so many in the very, very liberal part of our lives and our universe, so many of those folks are concerned with the mental health of an unborn child. But uh, if it's not the right gender to be revealed, they might want to go in there and, and undo that life and kill that unborn child. Right? Right? Well, here's a different turn on the gender reveal party. And this is out of Coleraine Township in Ohio, as reported on USA Today. Today. And no, I'm not stuttering. It's USA Today. Today. Today on USA Today today a woman was hosting her own gender reveal party where nine people were shot now did you hear this story i did this story got past me last week i guess it's it's because it wasn't chicago that we didn't we didn't pay close attention to the fact that nine people were shot at a party in ohio The party, the shooting, actually killed Autumn Garrett, a 22-year-old of Huntington, Indiana. How tragic. A 22-year-old's life was cut short. Wounded eight others. Cheyenne Willis, the 21-year-old, was throwing the party to tell friends and family that she would be giving birth to a boy in the coming months. Hmm. What makes this doubly tragic? What makes this a, a, a greater tragedy? In fact, beyond, beyond the story here that, that Autumn Garrett, a 22-year-old, was killed in the shooting that happened at this party, the shooting that hit Autumn fatally and wounded eight others. The tragedy here is the entire party was apparently held on false pretenses. She wasn't pregnant. Now, why? Why Why was, why was this party even happening? Why, why did this party have to happen? A party that killed somebody, wounded eight others. This, this is so distressing. This is so distressing. Why? It's, a, it's the weirdest story I've seen today. Why would you hold a gender reveal party if you're not pregnant? Police say the shooting happened late on Saturday night after the party that started around 4 in the afternoon had ended. But about a dozen people of the 30 who were there hung out and stayed later. And um, 
the group apparently was getting ready to watch one of the Spider-Man movies, and they had turned out the lights and started up the TV when uh, USA Today reports two men in hoodies came to the front door. They sprayed the living room with gunfire. At least 14 rounds were fired off without saying a word. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They said they heard screaming inside and children were crying on all the 911 calls. One caller said, I think a baby's been shot. I think I got hit. There's a whole lot of people here shot. Apparently, there was a Christmas Eve shooting just over a year ago that was, may have been related. So this might have been some sort of revenge thing for the past. But just why? Why were you having a gender reveal party if, in fact, nobody was pregnant? Is this the strangest story of the day? It truly is. And, and you wonder if... I, I just don't understand it. Were all those people called there because this shooting was a setup? It seems like it would have been because why would they, why would they wait till basically the party ended? It's, it's a very bizarre story. But again, but for gender reveal parties, I hate to say this, people, but we wouldn't have eight or nine people being shot, one of whom died. I know, I know, it's kind of callous, isn't it? But it's, it's, it's almost, you, you just can't wrap your head around it. Gender reveal parties. I'm not going to back down. I think they are... Um, a scourge on our society. And as uh, Emily Zanotti from Heat Street told us last week, uh, and she, she fully takes the blame on this, saying that it is uh, a creation of, of her millennial generation and that it's just a scam, total scam to get more presents. I, I wish somebody in the Ohio area there would, uh, who, who knows more about this would tell us, but apparently the story is kind of unfolding as uh, it's a follow-up because the original shooting happened on the 8th. So it was two Saturdays back that this, this, this actually went down. So very bizarre story. Very bizarre story. Hosting her own gender reveal party. Nine people were shot. She wasn't pregnant. And you wonder how that came up. Maybe somebody was doing a... a um, a follow-up to make sure that there was no trauma in the, the soon-to-be mother with her child. And I guess they discovered she wasn't pregnant and never had been pregnant. Really maddening story. Really maddening story. Um, I also tweeted out a couple of things that are very visual, and I hope you picked up on them that you should see. One of them is the the video that our friend Brian Lilly sent us from Ottawa, Canada, the guy who got the dash cam, and on the first day he recorded bicyclist running a red light and getting absolutely thrown into the air by the car next to him and then walking away. Luckier than this person was, getting hit by a car, a moving car, and being able to walk away with a wounded bicycle and a bruised hip. Just uh, 
Just an astounding story. And then the other one came out of, out of Wimbledon. If you watched Wimbledon, yes, congratulations to uh, Roger Federer for an, an astounding eighth singles championship. But uh, two days before, Kim Kleisters was playing in a doubles match, and she was being heckled by uh, a fat guy up in the stands. And uh, she couldn't take it anymore and actually invited the guy down on the court to uh, see if he could, in fact, return her serve. And as this fat guy was allowed to climb over the wall and come down on the court, which I couldn't believe Wimbledon had a sense of humor, Kleisters uh, jumped in and said, if you're going to be on the Wimbledon court, you have to wear all white because those are the rules. And she pulled a spare tennis skirt out of her bag. And this guy proceeded to put that tennis skirt on over his shorts. And he looked like a stuffed sausage in a casing that was about to burst. And yet he managed to return one of her serves right there on the, on the big stage at Wimbledon. It truly was, I, to, for me, it was the best moment of, of the entire tournament. But that's just me. I'm a little twisted. Uh, when we get back, I'll jump into some of the news of the day because there is interesting news. James Carville. Yeah, I know. Don't get scared. We talked about scary movies earlier. But James Carville's back. And we have to talk about what James Carville is saying about the GOPs and the Democrats' chances in 2018 because he's a guy who studies this stuff. And uh, we'll, we'll share that with you, um, plus a whole lot more today on Pure Opelka. Come on back. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Don't forget, if you haven't jumped on the Relief Factor bus yet, what are you waiting for? I, I use Relief Factor, been using it since the first week of April. Eight days later, I stopped using any pain medications because it got rid of the inflammation in my knees, my hips my back and my neck, and that got rid of the pain. Inflammation causes pain in your joints. And if that's the reason you have pain, then you should be trying Relief Factor. I got the three-week quick start pack. It's, it's under 20 bucks. It's $19.95 for the three-week quick start pack. Most people, most of the Blaze users, the thousands of them who have tried Relief Factor, see a positive result in 7 to 10 days. So call them, 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384, or go to relieffactor.com. I told you I was out in the garden digging around and uh, might have encountered some poison oak. But that's not what's causing me problems. Well, at least not yet anyway. We hopefully got that off. But I'm able to jump up and down to get into the garden to, to get my life back because I use Relief Factor. Haven't taken a painkiller of any kind, over-the-counter, whatever, since the eighth day after I started. So give it a try. 800-500-8384. Get the three-week quick start pack of Relief Factor. 
Now, we were talking about a different pain in the back. James Carville, the political pundit who's always there, the guy who looks like some alien ship just transported him here and left him. He's a fast-talking guy from Louisiana. Sounds like this. He got uh, two pounds of fertilizer in a one-pound bag in that man. He's, he's a pundit. And Carville's an interesting guy, a, a very left Democrat married to a very right Mary Madeline. And yet he understands the politics. And he was recently on a radio show talking about 2018, specifically talking about how, how the GOP and the Democrats are going to do. And he talked about the problem of jumping on the health care topic and what it does and how it's really dangerous. The problem on health care is simply this. Anybody that moves to change health care loses. When, when Bill Clinton in 1993 moved to change the health care system, he, it, it cost him. When President Obama in 2009 moved to change the health care system, it cost him. Now the Republicans are moving to change the health care system, and it's costing them. It's one of those things, if you pick it up, it bites you. Because whatever people have, they, they're scared to try something new. Interesting, right? Whatever people have, they're scared to try something new. I have a tendency to see the vision in that. I give Carville credit for that. But when asked about 2018 and the prospects of the Democrats taking back the House and the Senate, Carville had some very interesting things to say about a possible power shift in Congress. Check it out. I think there's a, a, a good chance, maybe 50% chance, the Democrats win the House. The problem in the Senate is, is we have a large number of seats that we have to hold in states that, that, that Donald Trump carried. Indiana, Missouri, you know, places like that, that, that we have to hold seats that are going to be, you know, you got to do pretty good in those kind of seats. West Virginia. Uh, and the only places that we have uh, opportunity for pickup are, you know, Nevada is pretty good. After that, Arizona is less good. Then you're down to, like, Texas and Alabama. And for the Democrats to win the Senate back, they have to pick up three seats. And you could say they could hold the ones they have. They may be able to win in Nevada. Maybe they will win in Nevada. But Arizona, after Arizona, and which is very problematic, it becomes tough. So I would say the chances of the Democrats winning the House back, let's just say it's 50-50 and argue about it there, and winning the Senate are substantially less. Interesting, right? The House is 50-50 based on Carville's assessment, and I think that's a pretty honest assessment right now. I think he's pretty spot on. And now the Senate, well, first of all, every seat in the House is up. But in the Senate, you only have a third of the seats up. And I believe 24 or 26 of them are going to be Democratic seats. And they have to defend every one of those and then pick up three from the GOP. And the GOP only has eight seats up for re-election. So the, the obvious answer here is, as he said... It's a 50-50 chance in the House, but the, uh, the Senate's a much different animal. And let's face it, the GOP's got to screw it up pretty badly to lose the Senate. The House, not so sure. When we get back, second hour, we'll dive more into the politics. Plus, I got a problem with the VA. 
I got a real problem with the BA, and we're going to do a little time travel. Right? Are you in? Okay, future boy, fire up the DeLorean. We'll be right back. Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network.